Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today on the show, I'm going to be interviewing Jeremiah Shamus. Jeremiah is a redevelopment associate with Colliers International, and Jeremiah deals with the land side of the condo equation. So typically talking to people about the condos themselves, but Jeremiah is coming into play and what he does is far before any sales center is ever in the ground, he's involved with the transaction of land that takes place between the landowner and the developer. And uh, we're going to talk about the anatomy of a deal and how some of these sites come together. We'll talk about a few high profile sites like the Young and Bloor site that recently transacted and a few other things. So stick around for that. Um, but before we get to that interview, just wanted to talk to you about uh, this article that I saw in the Financial Post. And I'll include a link to this article and all the links for this episode can be found at truecondos.com slash Jeremiah. So if you go there, you'll find a link to this article. Headline of the article is Housing Bubble Be Gone. Turns out we just might need all those new condos and houses. And so basically they're talking about the fact that, um, you know, we, we actually, uh, immigration and household formation supports the uh, number of homes and number of condos that are being built in Canada. This one's specifically talking nationwide, not specifically about the Toronto market per se, um, but the economist that they're quoting in the article is Benjamin Tal, Benjamin Tal of CIBC. And incidentally, I have been trying to get Mr. Tal on this podcast. So if you're listening, uh, Mr. Tal, I'd love to have you on this show. Um, I've heard I've heard him speak at a, a few different occasions, and he's just a great guy to hear about the housing market in Canada and the condo market. I'd love to have him on this show, and hopefully. He will, um, he will agree to be on the show soon. So you're welcome anytime, Mr. Tell. So um, he's basically saying uh, that, again, they're, they're sort of underestimating uh, in this report that he wrote with, uh, with his co-author, Nick Exeros, um, that they're, they're possibly underestimating the uh, number of household formations that are going to be taking place in Canada and therefore, the number of houses that are being built and condos that are being built um, are needed. In fact, there, there may in fact be a shortage of um, pro- new properties to meet the demand just based on pure uh, immigration and numbers coming in. Uh, it's a trend that we keep seeing again and again. I think the main point of it uh, that he talks about in this article is the fact that the when you look and you break down who is coming to Canada, the immigrants themselves, when you take the full 100,000 or whatever that number is that's coming in and you break it down uh, from an age cohort perspective, the immigrants that tend to be coming in are younger and more likely to be purchasing um, homes and uh, living uh, as singles or as couples. Um, And so the number of household formations required, therefore, is higher than what you might expect. So interesting article there, and I'll include a link to that. And now we'll get to the interview. Here it is with uh, Jeremiah Shamus of Colliers International. Enjoy. 
Welcome to the True Condos Podcast with Andrew LaFleur, the place to get the truth on the Toronto condo market and condo investing in Toronto. Okay, it's my pleasure to welcome to the show Jeremiah Shamus. Jeremiah is an associate on the redevelopment team for Toronto for Colliers International. Welcome to the show, Jeremiah. Thanks, Andrew. Great. So why don't we get started and you can tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and how you got started in real estate. Yeah, I would love to. Um, kind of a backwards story of how I got started in real estate. Um, my entire family are physicians and originally wanted to be a doctor and took science in school. Realized I really did not like science, so in second year switched over to business and uh, then started uh, kind of... a trying to understand um, the business world. And I had a cousin who runs uh, the commercial real estate uh, debt markets in Chicago for Bank of America. So he's doing these large uh, condo development deals in Manhattan and San Francisco um, and telling me all about them. And then, um, and then also finding out an alumni of mine was a senior vice president at Collier. So I just started talking to people and trying to understand where I wanted to go and realizing uh, real estate was... Uh, the way to go, and then um, got hired at Collier's as research analyst, and then um, and then started on the redevelopment team, um, selling development land, um, and uh, kind of the rest is history there. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a backwards way to get into the business. But uh, real estate was always uh, part of my father's uh, hobbies, so um, getting into it on the bottom end was uh, where I wanted to go, and. Uh, yeah, so now um, I guess to talk a little bit about specifically what I do, um, uh, specifically it's, it's development land that I sell and buy for callers on behalf of owners um, or developers um, on the buy side, I should say. Um, and uh, my specialization will deal with uh, everything from low-density subdivision land um, to high-density condo land and everything in between townhouse land, et cetera. Um, lately, my practice has focused a lot on high-density condo land. As, uh, of course, you know, um, the condo market is uh, quite doing well. It's doing well, rather. And um, because of that, developers are quite hungry for this high-density uh, redevelopment-type land. And when I say redevelopment, I mean just um, there's an existing uh, property with something on it. It may not be a parking lot. And the highest and best use is not the particular current use. So it ends up being a condo is the highest and best use, and that's what it's uh, sold as. So our practice deals a lot with um, uh, representing landowners and advocating for them in the sales process um, to gain the highest value for that landowner. And uh, we do everything from uh, highest and best use studies, uh, land plan studies and um, uh, uh, architectural massings where we work with an actual architect and different consultants, uh, basically to garner the full picture of a piece of land for uh, development, um, whether it be the high-rise land or, you know, an office retail mixed-use type site. So uh, that's kind of okay. it's about... Uh, yeah, that's great. So normally, I ask uh, most people I'm interviewing is if they're what their thoughts are on the if there's a condo bubble or not in Toronto. 
But in your case, Jeremy, I'd like to ask you, is there a land bubble? Because I know you deal with land uh, transactions. So what are you seeing in the land, like in the land market and in pricing of, of development sites? Um, is there a land bubble? Well, you know, the easy answer, Andrew, is no. Um, there is definitely not a land bubble. Um, what happened was uh, there's been a bit of a roller coaster ride for land in the past uh, six years, you can call it. Um, you know, starting with uh, 2007, 2008, where uh, land was priced quite high and selling at all-time highs uh, in the current market, then, you know, down to a low 2009, 2010, and then starting to gain steam again in 2011, 2012, and then actually uh, losing steam again in 2013, and now to our current year back up. So it's been a bit of an up-and-down uh, roller coaster, but as a general thought, uh, land prices have gone upwards. And uh, the reason I say there's not a land bubble is um, the actual ability to buy land is probably one of the most difficult parts of the developer's um, you know entire uh, process. And what, yeah, what do you mean by that exactly? Why is it so difficult? Well, <laughs> for one, we all know that. Uh, when you look around and you walk around downtown Toronto, you'll see a lot of high-rise buildings already. So, you know, the land use has already been uh, developed into a highest and best use. So there's there's not a lot of land left. You know, as they say, uh, um, buy land, God's not making any more. But, uh, right. but when you're trying to find a site for a condo development, um, there has to be in an area where the end use, the actual selling of the condos is going to be favorable for the market. So um, in your case, you're selling different condo sites, say like Minto Westside, um, and doing some uh, awesome projects like that on the condo side. Um, the developer, when looking at land, you know, that was a deal that was done um, quite some time ago. It was actually uh, bought by another developer, and then Minto came in and uh, managed the process. And uh, that was a very high-profile site that um, when it initially sold, I think it sold for around $40 million right. acres. Okay. And uh, basically, to go back to your answer, um, um, developers will try and acquire sites through a different means, um, a number of different means. Number one is when we represent a landowner, we will actually go through a what we call a modified bid tender process or an RFP process, call it, and we'll go out to 500 to 1,000 different developers, investors, um, people who are active in buying land, and we'll actually ask for proposals on a bid date um, from all the different developers. What this does is it actually allows the piece of property to be fully exposed, and it generally garners the highest price for the landowner. Um, but um, And developers will bid on that based on you know their interest in the site. But there's other ways as well. The developers approach landowners uh, privately and will try to get a deal done, you know, just through talking between each other. And when you have a lot of developers active in Toronto, everyone is going through the different, uh, through the same rather, pieces of land that are, you know, the best location. And right. So, you know, a number of people had tried to buy them into Westside site from for many years. And, um, you know, the deal ended up getting done by uh, another particular developer um, who brought in Minto, knowing their reputation to run the uh, process. So, 
Um, you know, that was a, a bit of an anomaly there, but um, really the best uh, best case scenario for the developer is to just control that piece of land and, and to to buy it in the end because there's really not a lot of good parcels left. So uh, it's just incredibly con competitive, and landowners are becoming um, more and more, um, I guess you could say, demanding um, for what pricing they would like, and uh, that uh, controls the process and the price of land in the long term. So let's talk. Okay, let's talk about specifically like the downtown core. Uh, how would you characterize landowners in the downtown core? Are they pretty sophisticated? Are they getting more and more sophisticated, or um, are there still a lot of landowners who really uh, don't understand the true value of what they're on? Or um, you hear a lot of stories about landowners as well on the other side of the coin, where their their valuations are just crazy, and they're then they're yes, it's for sale, but it's just you know two hundred percent of market value, and uh, it's never really going to sell. Like, how would you characterize the down talking specifically with the downtown core? Um, you know the the sort of the mindset and and what's happening with with uh with among on the landowner side of things right now. Yep. So you're absolutely right. There are two sides of the coin. I, I would call the land market a large dichotomy as far as what happens. You have developers on one end expecting one pricing, knowing they can sell condos at what X price, and uh, landowners on the other end um, expecting large pricing. Um, and uh, not really understanding um, what actually goes into the development process. There are, I should say, though, there are many sophisticated landowners, and uh, I, we love working with those landowners because they actually, you know, they don't need to be educated as far as, far as the process, but um, they understand, you know, doing a bid process will garner the highest price and it will be exposed to the greatest amount of buyers. Um, they'll understand that price and will typically be, the best that they can get. But there are other owners that may not quite understand, say, the planning uh, situation in Toronto. And for one, uh, to understand that will really help you understand what the value of the land is. Because, uh, you know, for example, there's a parcel on the east side right now that uh, I'm working on. And um, there's a special policy um, that is there um, from the city of Toronto and uh, they've done some studies on the area, and they basically um, understood that, you know, you can only build X number of heights. Now, the landowner sitting there is looking down the street and seeing a 45-story tower, looking down the other side of the street, seeing a 30-story tower. So they automatically assume, well, why can't I build 30, 40 stour, uh, towers? Sure. And this kind of dictates a higher price tag for the land, because the higher you can build, the more valuable land is typically. Um, so you do run into problems uh, like that where the landowner may not completely understand the planning uh, risks. And, uh, you know, that's where our job is to come in to do a highest and best use study to help them understand, you know, exactly what is happening on the planning side, what the city is requiring, and what risk a developer may take to actually be a bit more aggressive on that planning side and what they're able to do. So um, it, it's a bit of a difficult situation because there's totally two sides of it. And some landowners don't understand what value they have. Um, you know, for example, we sold a parcel uh, not too long ago right at King and Spadina, 
And the landowner thought, you know, I, th I think it's worth around $6 million. Well, we brought it through a process, and it ended up being $8 million. So there are examples like that. But then another example is, you know, the high-profile site Young and Bloor. Um, they, mm -hmm. The fellow there had been asking for $130 million for his parcel for years. And, you know, I had been in to talk with him many times, and uh I, I just could not justify the valuation that he wanted. And, you know, I spoke to many clients and no one else could justify it as well. We even spoke to um, uh, buyers in Manhattan, New York, who were doing, uh, you know, 100-story towers looking for high-profile sites in Canada, and they couldn't justify it. So um, at times, the landowners can be quite uh, demanding. And that parcel ended up selling for less than that, and I think it was just the right timing. Um, and the right buyer, but uh, you know there's there's a lot of owners asking for very high pricing, and uh, that would be where you know the driving the price of land upwards can put a lot of pressure on the developer to uh, price the land or price the condos rather at the right pricing, maybe a bit higher than the market is seen. So I think that's where you see appreciation uh, generally, but. Um, you know that actually uh, there's another theme that uh, I should probably touch on is that um, a number of developers um, have now started to price their products so um, aggressively that they're able to sell out the building quite quickly, um, knowing that the end buyer, the condo buyer, the investor, wants to buy a project at a particular price. So these developers they have to be very careful in buying their land because that's where the profit um, is, is changed probably the most. And once they're able to buy the land at a specific price, then they're able to um, uh, put forward the product, the condos, um, to investors and, and users at the best price. And uh, that's why you'll see some of the best developers who have the most resources who are able to find land parcels um, at the best price with uh, the best end product, so. Interesting, so you're touching on Young and Bloor site there, very high profile site uh, that recently sold. Um, let's talk about maybe one or two other high profile sites uh, and just get your comments on that. I know uh, I heard recently that the large parking lot uh, on the east side, Queen and Jarvis, um, apparently that property has sold. What, uh, what can you tell us about that site there? <laughs> Well, that's an interesting site as well. Um, again, I had been in to talk to the owner there a number of times. And basically, he had uh, assembled uh, a number of different sites over the years to acquire, to have this one massive parcel that uh, went from one street to the other street. It was almost an, it was an entire block, rather, um, two and a half acres, one of the last large undeveloped pieces of land because it was just a parking lot. You know, the other one being really at Front and Spadina. Um, so this one in particular uh, is a little bit of an interesting story, and it'll give you some insight in your listeners to um, how landowners go through the emotions of selling a parcel that's worth uh, you know, quite a bit more than they've acquired it for. So initially he had actually brought it out to market to be sold um, in the similar process that we had done uh, many years ago. And he had a uh, some bids at the top end for fairly good pricing at the time 
um, but decided uh, not to sell. And it was a number of reasons, you know, coming in that we don't need to go into detail about. But uh, you know, one developer had picked it up, not uh, got through his financing. Another one had decided not to take on the deal, and that was right before the crash of 2000 and uh, late 2007, 2008. So. Um, no one kind of wanted to take it. So it, from the years from there, a number of developers had unsolicited offers brought in, um, you know, being represented um, by uh, myself and some other um, agents um, where they um, had put forward a number that actually made a lot of sense. It was very aggressive. But for some reason, the owner had thought that he was getting higher numbers all the time, so he continued to chase these bids. So he continued to turn down pricing, assuming he would get a higher number. So what happened in the end is, uh, again, it was a timing process. I think the fellow is, uh, he's a bit of an older fellow, and he had wanted to um, do some planning for his estate and had decided to sell. Well, what ended up actually selling for was probably about 8 to 10 million less than the top bid uh, for the property that happened, you know, three, four years ago. So he had lost out a bit. And when I say lost out, it's minimal because, you know, when you're selling a parcel for $85 million and you acquired it over the years for maybe $20 million, you know, you're, you're doing okay. You're, yeah. You're, <laughs> you're doing okay at the end of the day. Yeah. Either in either way, but that's interesting. That, uh, just a little insight there. Very interesting anecdote about the, the anatomy of a deal and, and how, um, like you said, uh, when you're talking about such huge numbers, um, you know, certainly when I, I see it all the time in, in an individual condo sale, but when you're talking about multiplying those numbers by uh, a thousand uh, or, or 10,000, um, then the emotions and the ups and downs and, and just uh, uh, so many different factors can come into play. It's interesting how some, some deals, uh, like you said, you might end up getting a lot less than than offers uh, before when when you sort of had the tension of the market and bidding wars and and it maybe it was a different time. Yeah. Um, Very different. Now, uh, can you are there any um, just uh, any any future pockets or hot hot areas that you're seeing now for development up and coming areas areas that the you know the typical condo investor wouldn't know about because uh, you know as condo investors we see the condos that are for sale. Uh, but you, uh, as uh, working on the land side of it, you're seeing the land transacting, you know, two, three years before it ever becomes a, a, a condo that's being marketed for sale. Like you said, with, uh, with the front and bathers site talking about that years ago. And now finally, uh, here we are in, uh, we're at, uh, late 2014 and now it's just coming onto market. So, excuse me, are there sites, uh, are there areas of the city that you'd say, People might not know about right now, but they're they're areas to keep your eye on for future development and future opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there, there's kind of two areas in my mind um, where you know I get a number of calls from uh, buyers looking for land, and right now it's kind of the mid-rise boutique type builds where the developer doesn't have to take as much risk. They're building maybe a 12, 13 story. Uh, condo is 100 to 150 units. They can be a little more creative with their design. Um, they can be a little more creative with their marketing, it seems. And uh, the risk, uh, as opposed to a 400, 500 unit building, um, they want to build something like that. And 
you know, I see a lot of that right now on the east side. Um, and, you know, I should also say it, it's going up to 30, 40-story towers on the east side as well, closer to Young. But everything all the way over to the Don Valley, there's a lot of eyes on that area. And I think it's drawn by the specific reason that in the entertainment district, King West, um, all the way on the west side, there's been, I think right now there's 50 active um, uh, development applications in. So there's quite a few developers in um, looking to develop uh, or to redevelop projects and going through the planning process for the next two, three years. Um, and that means they're bringing on a certain number of projects uh, and certain number of units to the market. So I think looking at the east side, there's not a lot of congestion as far as traffic goes, and there's not a lot of uh, um, land that's been completely uh, taken up. So there's still opportunity there for developers to look on the east side and say, you know, in the next two to five years, we really like this area because, um, you know, it's design-oriented. There's a lot of uh, great retail frontage here. You know, there's a distillery district. Um, um, the Pan Am Village is getting built there. So there's a lot of reasons they're going over there. But uh, the one thing I would say is mostly competition for condo development. So um, we're actually looking at a few projects there we're going to bring to market, and um, we're getting a lot of interest uh, already. And uh, that's definitely one of the areas, too. I, I guess I'd also say that on the peripheral of downtown west towards Dufferin Street, there are a number of areas that um, developers are still looking at. That area has not quite been totally developed, and there's some great nodes, um, Queen West area, uh, Little Italy, Bloor West area, that um, are being looked at by developers as far as um, um, the next area to go into. And um, again, those so are more boutique yeah. builds, but... Uh, right. Um, whereas the east side still has potential for, uh, you know, high rises, you know, the 30 to 40 story type things. Um, but uh, at this moment, I'd say uh, big time downtown east. That is. Uh, that's, the, that's the number one area to watch for in the future. Interesting. Um, now, uh, a question I often like to ask and I'll ask of you is, um, is there is there something that, is there a question that no one has ever asked you about what you do or about land development or about um, commercial real estate downtown, but that you wish someone would? And what would that question be? <laughs> um, let's see. It's a good question. <laughs> I mean, there's a number of things that come to mind. Um, I'd say probably the number one is, uh, you know, does your specialty actually help um, because you'll see a lot of uh, real estate agents chasing land deals uh, when they may not have the specialization mm -hmm. in uh, understanding the full process, the development process. So you know, I wish people would ask me that more because uh, it's all I do and it's all our team here does at Collier's. Um, I have a great team supporting me and um, it's why we're able to be successful in the last little while um, representing landowners because uh, – our specialization allows us to understand uh, the uncommon knowledge that may not be as apparent to, um, you know, say a generalist um, in the area. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I hear you, I definitely hear you on that point. As as you know, I um, I specialize as well. I'm specialized in pre-construction condo sales, as opposed to other types. So, 
Um, referred you people because I know. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, and definitely uh, specialization is the, is the only way to go. You've got to have specialized knowledge um, in this business to succeed. Um, I want to thank you again for your time today, Jeremiah. If people want to get a hold of you, find you, what's the best way to reach you? Um, well, I guess you can uh, follow me on Twitter. <laughs> Great. Jamis um, is my name there, and you can send me a message if you're interested there. And as well, as well uh, colliersCanada.com, um, and search my name, Jeremiah, and all my information is right there. And happy to chat if anyone has any questions. But uh, thanks again for having me, Andrew. It's uh, been a pleasure. Love listening to your podcast, and uh, I'll continue to do so. Great. Thank you, Jeremiah. And I'll be sure to include a link on the show notes to to your contact information like you just described. And I hope you have a great week, and we will catch up with you soon. Thanks, Jeremiah. Great. Thank you, Andrew. Well, there you have it. That was my interview with Jeremiah Shamus. Hope you got something useful out of that conversation. And it was interesting to hear him talk about the up-and-coming areas of the city, uh, particularly the downtown east side is an area to watch for in the years to come as the west side of downtown, um, and certainly the, the cent- central part of downtown is, is rather, um, you know, the, the opportunities are few and far between to develop land in, the, in a lot of these pockets. So when you're looking at, at downtown, certainly the east side has a lot of potential in the future, you've got Regent Park redevelopment. You have Corktown, a lot of action there around Queen Queen East. Uh, you have the uh, Distillery District, the West Donlands area, St. Lawrence Market. You have the, the Bayside community uh, down on the waterfront. All this is happening on the east side of the city. So you're seeing, you're going to see a lot of transformation in the years to come. So that's certainly a, an area to watch. And as an investor, an area to potentially um, you know, take part in before prices, uh, you know, become inflated and before they do catch up eventually with, with the prices that we see on the west side. Because traditionally, the east side of the downtown is more affordable um, than the west side. Uh, and, is, and of course, the, the Queen and Jarvis site, that's a massive site there. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what project, um, what plans are, are going to be happening on that parcel of land there as we talked about in the interview okay i hope you enjoyed uh, this episode once again if you like the show i'd appreciate your support go ahead and leave a review if you don't mind for the show over at uh, itunes just go to itunes and click leave a review for this podcast i really appreciate it. especially if you've been listening for a long time you enjoy the show and uh, you just haven't had a chance to get over there and leave a review please do it really helps get the word out about the show and helps more people find it. So once again, you can find all the show notes for this episode over at truecondos.com slash Jeremiah. Okay, great. Have a great week and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the True Condos Podcast. Remember, your positive reviews make a big difference to the show. To learn more about condo investing, become a True Condos subscriber by visiting truecondos.com.